and welcome to Mixed Feelings, a podcast about news, politics, and pop culture on the Relay FM network. I'm Quinn Rose, and I'm here as always with my co-host Jillian Parker. Hey everyone! Hey Quinn! Hi Jillian, how are you doing? I'm doing okay! I'm still studying, still thesising. How are you? I'm good, doing none of those things. It's a great time. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm still in New York, um, and... Over the weekend, I saw Come From Away and Hamilton, so live in my best life. Yeah, so this was obviously a very emotional weekend for Quinn. Yeah, I had a great time. Uh, Only a couple more days in New York City, so that's a bit sad, but excited to be back on campus. Excited to be living together again. Yeah, I know. This is the last um, time we need to record separately for a while, I think. Yay! That's good. Since we're so bad at it. (laughs) Yeah, this, like, janky setup in my room right now is, like, not ideal. Still sitting on the floor, you guys. (laughs) (laughs) But at any rate, let's just dive right into the topics for today, which we're starting with... it, It amazes me that this country keeps being able to come up with new things, but I guess that gives us a podcast, so there's that. But this week, uh, there was an emergency alert sent out to the residents of Hawaii that told them that there was an incoming missile, that they should seek immediate shelter, and that it was not a drill. Turns out it wasn't a drill because it was an accident. There was no missile, um, and there were all of the terror that inspired was completely accidental. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so basically what happened is that the person who like was in charge of sending like the test alert accidentally clicked the live alert, and so it did go to everyone, and people legitimately thought that a missile was coming, which is, you know, not how you ever want to experience, um, not during, you know, a typical day. Yeah, there are all sorts of just heartbreaking stories about people's reactions and like trying to reach family, knowing that I mean, when a if a missile is coming for Hawaii, it's going to be a matter of minutes. And so um, just like heartbreaking stories. And then like, obviously, luckily nothing happened. But there's there's so much going on here because like this is not something. I mean, it is partially something that happened out of context because like what? It wasn't like anyone planned for this to happen. But I mean, it wouldn't have been so ridiculously terrifying if it didn't feel so realistic at this date and time Mm -hmm. yeah i think it's just like super alarming considering the state of where well where the countries are in terms of political agreements and things like that especially with north korea um and that's just like a huge threat yeah considering that the leaders of our respective countries are kind of um There are so many inappropriate phrases I could use to describe what they're doing, but let's just say trying to one-up each other in how macho and dumb they can be, it's not a good look, and it's also a very dangerous look considering both of them um, seem to be exhibiting pretty unstable behaviors as well. Um, And so a lot of people are living with very real fear that one day that this missile incoming is going to be a real thing yeah it's like the typical game of chicken and we've seen this with the cuban missile crisis like this is just not a great state to be in um 
like state of being, not like state of Hawaii. Um, I'm sure it's a lovely place, but um, yeah. And it's just Quinn was Quinn and I were talking earlier about how this idea that fear is so powerful. Um, and I think that's like a movie quote. I think I want to say from Green Lantern, Lantern, where the only thing like more powerful than fear is hope. But still, like fear is definitely a very legitimate thing, and you know can cause extreme levels of panic fear leads to anger anger leads to hate hate leads to suffering wait i mean i got that wrong suffering leads to hate hate leads to the dark side it leads to the dark side at some point (laughs) we eventually get to the dark side yes anyway fear is bad um there's i mean uh, it's interesting there are all sorts of fictional properties which grapple with this idea that like fear is one of the most powerful emotions in the world and it really is the driving factor as to why most people do most things which is you know accurate and it's just weird that like i don't know i know this wasn't true because it was like definitely affected by the fact that we were in high school at this point but i feel like five years ago it was just sort of this like take care of your own life mentality and i mean obviously there's always been like activism and working towards others but there was there did seem to generally be this period of like everything's going to be okay but that meant like in your own life and you just had to sort of figure stuff out and now we have to worry about things like is a missile going to hit the world and just destroy all human life because we don't really have any control over that and there's nothing we can do and there's no guarantee that it will be okay Mm-hmm, yeah, and it's also just like kind of terrifying that, a lo- like, at least I've become some sort, somewhat like desensitized um, to all of this because I just like read this and I was like, oh, yikes, that's not good, and I feel like I should be a lot more alarmed. Um, but it's just like you're, we're so used to hearing about missiles and nuclear weapons, and it's just like it's unfortunately become part of like an everyday sort of conversation that we just are living with. Yeah, I saw the message on Twitter that this had happened and the message on Twitter that it wasn't real and there wasn't any missile because like a lot of people called to confirm pretty quickly that it wasn't actually happening. So I saw those messages at the same time and I was just like, oh, that sucks. And then later it sunk into me like how serious this is and how not Mm -hmm. normal this is. But for a second there, I was just like, oh, well, you know, this is happening now, I guess. Yep. And it's just, you know, that level or the concept of resignation and just being like, well, this is the world and it sucks. I mean, I guess on one hand, it's a bit of energy conservation because there's not there's not really a lot I can do about the uh, nuclear missiles in the world. But there is more I can do about like other issues that come up. And so um, being able to focus my energy on those things and sort of like the serenity prayer, like. I, I'm going to forget the word. I don't know the serenity prayer off the top of my head any more than I know Star Wars quotes off the top of my head, apparently. But, you know, being able to change what you um, can and know the difference. Yeah. I think it's like, God grant me the, um, to accept the thing, the serenity to accept the things I cannot change and like the wisdom to know the difference or something to that extent. You know what we mean. <laughs> the courage to, yeah, to courage, the courage to change the things I can um, and then the wisdom to know the difference between the two is essentially the gist. We're close enough. Yeah, we're fine. This is, of course, sort of the escalation of this concept of fake news, which I can't even say without using air quotes, as you probably heard in my voice right there. But despite the bastardization of the term, um, taken literally in its original intention, it is 
literally news that is not true um and like this is perhaps the most extreme example we have seen of this so far is literally people thinking that there was incoming death and destruction of their lives um and it just didn't exist yeah like it was actually fake news and i just want to again like what quinn said about the overuse of this word it's like almost like it doesn't have meaning anymore um and so like this using it in like it's i guess most pure for, if that even makes sense like the way it was originally intended to you to be used is just like you know still not a great thing it feels like you're not taking it seriously enough if you call it fake news because it's been so watered down as to what the meaning of that phrase is yeah exactly Luckily, I don't think there was too bad of a panic in Hawaii because um, this is also the sort of thing that even though there's not a missile incoming could cause a lot of damage in certain ways uh, if um, people start panicking too extremely. But I think that even though it went on for way too long, by the way, like it, the, they should have been they should have sent out a, a another push notification to everyone saying that it was an accident immediately. But that didn't happen. But it's something like 38 minutes before it was officially uh, revoked. Um, but I, I haven't heard any reports of anything too bad happening in that time. So uh, even though it's obviously very traumatic for everyone who had to experience that, I don't think there was long-lasting damage in of like a physical sense. Mm-hmm, which is good. But I can imagine like even afterwards, like the emotional trauma of that those 38 minutes being like the worst 38 minutes of your life. Yeah, I can't even imagine what I would do if I thought that there was a missile incoming for me. Like, I I mean, I would do what anyone else did in that situation, was just try to reach someone that you love as quickly as possible and hope you make it. In other news of the world ending, Trump is, well, was currently working on a um, bipartisanship agreement uh, going over DACA and what's the changes that's going to be made there. But apparently during the meeting, um, wait, do we have the direct quote? So the, do we have the yeah. thing is there was no recording, but the alleged quote is, why are we having all these people from shit countries come here? Oh yeah. And this was from um, Dick Durbin who said, who reported this, but then there have been, you know, a bunch of accounts, as there always are, saying that, no, it was taken out of context. Actually, I didn't hear him say that, blah, blah, blah. So the usual. He said, she said sort of mess. What's really interesting is um, there is some sort of debate going on over whether he said hole or house. And, like, why is that the point? That doesn't seem like the operative word there. Yeah, I feel... Wait, why is... Like, is one necessarily better than the other? Because to me, they both use the S word, so I'm, like, not a huge fan. Yeah, I have no idea, okay? Like, this is ridiculous. There's all sorts of debates going on over the language that he used. Everyone's saying, like, oh, well, I'm sorry he used that kind of language. That is so incredibly not the point. What? Like, that's not... The swearing is not the point. It's the the meaning of the words that is the point. Yeah. And so if tensions weren't high enough with the United States and the rest of the world, a lot of these South African countries, and rightfully so, have taken offense, have taken offense to what Trump um, allegedly said. So this, again, is really just killing our public relations with the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, these were specifically in reference to Haiti, El Salvador, and African countries. Oh, wow. Do you want to know what all those countries have in common? They have black people in them. Ooh, what a mystery. Yep. So then, of course, Trump, his favorite platform of choice, went to Twitter insisting that he didn't say this and was like, I'm not a racist, blah, blah, blah. Which is just like, it's one of those things where it's like, when you have to say that you're not a racist, it means you're like probably racist. Yeah, when you have to say you're not a racist a hundred times. Also, everyone was reporting this. So like, since I'm in New York, I've been going to the local gym a couple of times. And so they just have news channels on kind of all the time. And everyone's talking about this, like, they have like tables full of people talking about the Trump saying, like, I'm not a racist. And who, that's not the story. Like, anyone can say anything. That's not the evidence. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But anyway, um, also reported from this meeting is he allegedly singled out Haiti in particular, saying, like, oh, why do we need Haitians? And, um, and of course, the reason that all of this is a big deal is because he has incredible power to follow through on this, as in, like, recently when they rescinded... Uh, deportation protections for Haitians who came here after the 2010 earthquake or then they just announced that they're going to revoke protections for people from El Salvador who moved here almost 20 years ago um, after a natural disaster in their country and like if you've been living here for 20 years your life is definitely well rooted here and they're saying no you have to get out okay yeah so basically um, people from El Salvador were given like this temporary citizenship um and then because they you know they after the natural disaster occurred like 17 years ago and pretty much like if it was going to expire presidents have two choices and it's one to just like you know have it keep rolling or whatever and then trump who says to get rid of it and up until now like most people were most presidents were like obviously on board for just keeping it and just like you know continuing the um, temporary citizenship but of course the trump administration wants to overturn that yeah and this creates this whole paradox because on one hand they're saying like oh el salvador is terrible and like we don't want people from el salvador but at the same time like th that by removing this protection by allowing them to live here they're saying like el salvador is good enough for you to live there um and so it's like well it can't really be both unless you're racist <laughs> I understand, like, in this weird way, what Trump is trying to do is that he's trying to set, like, a precedent and increase, you know, the um, limits on immigration and things like that. But, like, this is probably the worst way to do that. What's kind of fascinating about Trump is if he was slightly different, he would be so effective is because, like, if he actually just like stood up if he was like an eloquent person who stood up and gave an eloquent speech about um how temporary protection should be temporary um and that like this is a natural enforcement of the the intention of this system then everyone would just be like clapping for him um and it would be i mean obviously there's still a lot of issues even um just below the surface of what this is but at least on a surface level he would have like a very um well-articulated argument for why it was happening but he doesn't do that he gets in the meeting and swears about countries and is just overtly racist and so he's not allowed he can't pretend that he's not being racist for the justification for his decisions and it just goes to show like how i mean obviously like he is a huge problem for many of the ways that he handles the country 
but on the other hand like someone who had all of his values but a greater level of articulation could potentially be so much more dangerous he he doesn't know how to form two cohesive sentences um but instead he can tweet about it so yeah exactly like this is just it it just go it this just like reinforces the point that presentation is everything whether you like it or not yeah absolutely and I would just like to say once again that in another universe, this show is an interesting debate between two somewhat similar but somewhat different people in terms of politics and bigger questions. And it said it's mostly just us yelling at the sky because Trump. <laughs> yeah, because we definitely agree on the fact that Trump is just does not know what he's doing, period, at all. Um so at least we get to bond over that. <laughs> Another aspect of this story that we haven't really touched on yet is beyond like our own domestic issues. Uh, this is, of course, another thing that's making the international community pretty mad at us, especially, you know, the leaders of African countries who really don't appreciate uh, Trump's attitude toward their nations, as I would not either. <laughs> so that's not great. Mm-hmm. And I think somewhat a professor um, at the university university was talking about how this happened and what this means. And he was like, yeah, like there are some arguments that, you know, the countries that Trump was um, alluding to are obviously not great places for institutions. But like you can't really expect to throw the word like pole around and face zero consequences. Yeah, there's not really a lot of nuance there. And it's funny because Trump is like, oh, this is, I didn't really say that, and I'm not a racist and whatever. But the State Department just kind of said, don't deny what he said. <laughs> um, so there's a lot of evidence that, like, he pretty much did say that or something very close to it. Not many people have, like, directly refuted what was said. They're just trying to dance around it. So that's an interesting note. But yeah, and I mean, obviously, it's a bad idea to make any entire continent mad. Um, even if you don't value it very highly, like, uh, there's a lot of really important business in Africa and it's a very fast growing area and, uh, we suck. So, you know, I hope we have some kind of any relationship with the rest of the countries in the world by the time, um, Trump gets out of office. That'd be great. Yep. Hopefully keeping our fingers crossed. Again, I'm just, like, reflecting on, these are our goals, Quinn. Like, let's see if he can't destroy the world. That would be a dream. Yep, we're just plowing through this with extremely low expectations, as per usual. This is a beautiful microcosm of the point I was trying to make earlier, is that a, a a different person in this role would be, one, more effective at getting these policies across that I don't necessarily agree with on a policy level, but two, maybe wouldn't destroy our international standing. So, you know, you win some, you lose some. <laughs> you win some, you lose most. It's fine. Yeah, of course, he's probably still going to be able to get these policies because he owns the executive and most of the legislative branch in uh, practical power. So there's that. We're doing great. Yep, so much for our checks and balances system because that is that has completely gone out the window. Vote in your midterm elections, everybody. It is 2018, and they are coming up. Woo! Get registered today. Yeah, register to vote. 
woo, civic participation. Gotta fulfill your civic duty. And if you're an international listener, sorry. Yeah, on just behalf of, like, everything, we're really sorry. I feel like one of those people where, like, you're, you apologize for a child's behavior. Like, oh, I'm sorry, like, they didn't mean that, except it's not a child, it's the president. <laughs> That's such a good analogy. Except for it's not that a kid threw a cake on the ground, it's that the kid is threatening to use nuclear weapons. Our final topic for today is going to be pretty long and pretty complicated, and it also covers sex and sexual assault, so that's not what you want to listen to now or ever. Just skip it. But uh, yeah, our topic today is on Aziz Ansari and... Well, less directly about Aziz Ansari, actually, but whatever. Um, This story that came out recently about a woman's experience on a date with Aziz Ansari, who is a popular comedian and television writer. And to just give a brief overview of what this was, um, it was published in Babe, which I believe is an online feminist publication. And described this woman's experience who um, they're calling her Grace, which is not her real name, but described her experiences going on a date with him um, in which... Uh, she felt that he moved too quickly, um, did not recognize her verbal or nonverbal cues, that she was extremely uncomfortable with how it was going, pressured her um, into doing some sexual acts that she wasn't particularly comfortable with until uh, she finally left and uh, said that it was a very traumatic experience for her, um, that she felt very uncomfortable and when she contacted him about it and he said, I'm really sorry. I didn't realize you felt that way. And she was like, well, how could you not have known? And this was last year, I believe. Um, and then after the recent golden globes, as we talked about, um, she came forward with her story to babe and shared it, uh, and said that like, Hey, this is, this is this terrible experience that I had with this person. And it just, it was harm. It was hurtful for me to see him like talk about feminism and where time's up pinned and all this. And so I wanted to share my story and that is the basic article that was published. And then everything hit the fan in terms of, uh, opinions and stories and hot takes about this article. So here we are to add our own to the pile. Yeah. Um, this is, this topic also like has been beaten to death, but it's just so relevant. Um, and also, like, I'm, I was a huge fan of Aziz Ansari. I just finished all seven seasons of Park and Rec last night. So, um, yeah, I think he was, he was, he was really great in that show. He was hilarious. And so I was, like, a bit shook when I read this. Um, and this is just, like, a great example of how, unfortunately, systemic the problem with sexual assault has become and it's not something that just like oh like really creepy actors do or like you know directors who are just trying to abuse their power like it happens on it it happens with normal like 34 year olds who some magazines or publications have dubbed as in quotes woke yeah there are so many things here i think one of them is that we have a bit of a problem with language is because um, the phrase sexual assault evokes such a violent um, imagery. And I I don't necessarily think that it shouldn't, but I think we need more words to describe the full spectrum of what this is. Because I don't think that Aziz Ansari sexually assaulted this woman. But I do think that this was a very uncomfortable, traumatic situation um, and that 
like in a healthier and more communicative exchange would not have happened and would not have been like this for either party. And I guess my overall thoughts of this is that one, it was wrong. Two, it was normal. Three, that it wasn't sexual assault, but it was still something that was not okay. And that I don't know what the word for that is. Yeah, it was just, honestly, like, I think all forms of sexual assault are unwelcome. So it's pretty much just, like, this horrible experience that just, like, you know, has all of this unwelcome, like, unwanted behavior. But if we, you know, throw this in with all the other sexual assault cases, it kind of almost, like, I don't want to say reduces their, um, reduces, like, their potency or, like, makes them less important or relevant but it definitely does change the way or it definitely changes how people view these um these incidents yeah and i I mean i do think it's dangerous to say that this is the same thing as like physically forcing yourself onto someone or like holding their career for ransom over Mm -hmm. something like this was a bad date experience and it was again like a very ordinary experience but that doesn't mean that it wasn't wrong and it wasn't a problem Mm -hmm. and of course that's just part of the bigger question is why is this such a normal thing that unfortunately goes on um and it's all it all has to do well obviously communication is one thing but then just this idea that like you're entitled or something and i i don't know i just think from like an early age we should all just assume no And I think a lot of the problem with the hookup culture, the dating culture is like, oh, if you go out with someone, like, you're probably going to have, like, physical intimacy afterwards, which is just, like, that just shouldn't be our go-to. Yeah, absolutely. This is, and and I think at this point, we both want to, like, back away from the specific question of Aziz Ansari, um, is that, like, this story in particular is about an, an experience with Aziz Ansari, but I don't think that's the important part. Like, I don't think that he should be crucified, but I think that maybe he should take this as an opportunity to, like, seek education for himself and to listen um, to why people thought this was unacceptable where when he thought it was acceptable. And I think that everyone should do that, like, literally everyone, because this is important for um, probably all people to to really think about um yeah like a lot of people have said oh well like he's not as bad as the other guys because like he didn't realize what he was doing was wrong and i'm like that's the problem like he didn't think there was anything wrong and that's the issue it's not whether or not it's not like about the incident itself it's just about like what he thought was right and that's just more of like a philosophical like what are we teaching our kids you know that whole lovely mess of stuff Yes. So moving away from like this specific incident, which is just a mess in a lot of ways, and the article was a mess and there's all this stuff, but this this like cultural phenomenon of two people um, are on some level of, of an intimate exchange and one person is pushing faster and farther than the other person is comfortable with and not reading any um, signs of this discomfort is like in the vaguest sense um, that I've just described it, incredibly common. And this does happen to, like, all genders, um, but it is 
and I don't, there aren't a lot of like firm stats on this because I get like I can't even think of what the word of what this is. I mean, it is like this is what rape culture is, but that is such an evocative phrase that it tends to shut a lot of people off because they were like, this isn't rape. It's like, well, yeah, it's not rape. It's rape culture. It is the culture that perpetuates these ideas. But anyway, I'm digressing. But this does happen to happen a lot. Like in this case, like men making women uncomfortable in these situations and two things happening of like, there is like this one side of like, oh, the woman should have been clearer in what she was saying. And like on one hand, yes, this probably wouldn't have happened if she just stood up immediately and said, no, I don't want to do this. But that like severely oversimplifies the situation and like the culture that we live in. And then to the other side of like um, the other partner should be able to pick up that she's not comfortable with it, regardless of whether she like stands up and screams no. Mm -hmm. And I mean, of course, like a lot of this is the reason one of the reason or one of the reasons why this is like unfortunately so common is that it's probably like a psychological thing too. like you really want to do something. And so like in your mind, you're just like ignoring or like tuning out all the nonverbal clues that could like hint otherwise, um, which again is a problem. Um, But also, as Quinn was saying, like this idea of rape culture and it's just like no, this isn't considered rape, but it it is part of a much larger problem that we have with um, the hookup culture and things like that. Um, and also, just like, uh, yes, there were some communication issues, but I also do think that s- getting up in the middle of something and be like, no, I don't want to do this is a lot easier said than done. Absolutely. And it wouldn't be if we had different ideas of what this is like but I mean sort of every media message that we get is like oh two people go into a room together and then they have sex and that like that's it like you don't you don't change your mind like you don't there aren't nuances in it like oh I want to do some things but not others like we tend to not have that nuanced conversation in the media that we're presented with and in the conversations that we have with like people because unless you're talking to like your closest friends and sometimes not even then people don't tend to have these explicit conversations about the details and so it gets um obscured and it gets scary and people don't really know how to deal with it Mm -hmm. exactly Um, there's also just this whole pervasive attitude that everyone is taught um for the most part everyone taught is that like men seek sex and like women withhold sex and so it's women's job to be this gatekeeper of like when and what happens where it's men's job to just like continue striving for whatever for like the most of what they can get and this causes so many problems everything from like men who don't actually want all of that but feel pressure to pursue it to like to these patterns of like since men have been taught that their job is to pursue these goals that they do it and don't recognize like these signs of um of discomfort and like not actually wanting it Mm -hmm. and again it's this idea of toxic masculinity um and how like even if you're talking about this incident i guess like with a group of friends after especially if you're a guy and it's like you're you're looked down on if it's like oh yeah like we didn't end up hooking up or something like that right so it's again just like this idea this negative um, this negative concept is being pushed and pushed and pushed over and over again throughout the culture. 
I think there's some sort of idea that like sex is not supposed to be an equal exchange. Like it's supposed to be one person pursuing and then one person sort of giving it up. Um, Whereas like in a healthy exchange, like it's, it's very consensual and mutual. um, And both people like come to the table basically. Um, And like if we were working with that model, then this, this sort of thing would happen a lot less frequently. Mm -hmm. I also do think like, even not in an explicitly sexual context, but like, you know, asking a girl out a bunch of times, like for a date, like sometimes that, like, how is, how is that going to be construed? Because like, I know, well, I don't know, but like anecdotally, there are always stories like, oh, how did you guys get together? And it's like, oh, well, he kept asking me out every day until I said yes. And now we're together. Um, And you hear like anecdotal stories about that. But then it's like, at another point, like, what if the person like keeps asking you, but you like, explicitly do not want to go on a date like where what's that line and how can we better identify that yeah you really shouldn't keep asking people out on dates unless there's some been some sort of change in your relationship to make you think that like something would be different like that's not don't do that just respect when people say no to you Mm -hmm. yeah but yeah that hits on the like overarching problem is like this is a this is a pattern that exists even outside the bedroom. Like this is something that exists from like day one of um, romantic exchanges is everyone just has this idea of what it's supposed to look like, which I mean, I love rom-coms, but rom-coms, what are you doing? Oh my God. Don't even get me started on rom-coms. They are not a healthy exchange. They are not a healthy representation of what an adult relationship should look like 95% of yeah, the time. Like I, I have so many problems with rom-coms. This is why I don't like movies. Um, But yeah, they're just so, it's just, we're just taught from a very young age, like, you know, this behavior is not even accept, not even acceptable, but just like expected, right? And like, what's that scene in, um, he's just not that into you, where like the little girls at the playground and you, they learn, she learns from like an early age that when a guy's being mean to you, that means he likes you. And it's just like, no, no, he's not. He's being mean because he's a dumb boy. Um, and we, of course, we have this, like, culture of, oh, boys will be boys. It's like, no, boys will be accountable for their actions, just like everybody else. What do you think of the whole angle of this, which has been discussed a lot, which is that um, discussing, like, this issue and this problem removes agency from women. And, like, women should, like, just have the agency and the power to say no when they mean no. I have so many mixed feelings on that because, like, I understand the argument. It's like, yeah, she could have, like, just gotten up and left, right? Um, And then her, the way she told the story, it, like, sort of reduced her agency or made it seem like that her agency was reduced. And so I think my issue with that um, is that, yes, women technically, like, should have the agency and the communication to just, like, you know, speak up, but obviously that's a lot harder to do, to actually do in the time and place. And then also, again, like, yeah, maybe it's a a question, maybe it's not less of a question about agency, but the way, like, agency is perceived, like, in this culture. And again, I think it's just a much larger systemic issue that just can't be narrowed down to, like, oh, well, she could have just said no. Yeah, and that, that this is this is why I think that education about what consent is is so important because it's not only important to teach about like true enthusiastic consent um, and so that you like don't 
pressure someone else into doing something without meaning to but it's also important to to realize like your rights as a human and like to understand that you never owe someone yourself and that you always are allowed to say no to change your mind to like pick one thing and not another like these are things that we don't talk about in a nuanced enough way and so I think especially maybe the first couple times you have an encounter like this I mean not necessarily like your first couple sexual encounters but like the the first couple times that like someone is moving faster you're comfortable with um and it's hard to recognize like in that moment when you haven't um spent a lot of time thinking about it or understanding that on an intuitive level that you can just get up and say no um and on one hand, like, maybe that does sound like it removes agency from those people, but it's, I, it's less about, like, oh, those people are weak, but it's just, like, that, that we exist in this system that teaches us that we don't have agency, and so it's hard to recognize that until we've either been through that experience, reflected on it, and understand what we can do next time, or if we were taught that from day one, and that going in, we're prepared to do that. Mm-hmm. And also, I think there's just this like underlying issue where like you can be the most you know assertive person ever, but like if a guy pays for your dinner, you still have like this twinge of guilt. And I don't know, like twinge of guilt, like you owe him something. And like I'm not saying that's like happens to everybody, but I definitely think it's common. Even though like even if you actively know that you don't owe him anything, you can't really help sometimes like that you feel like you do owe him something. And so I think we need to stop looking. Um, at these romantic encounters or these physically intimate situations as like, you know, price fix menus and just more of a you can pick what you want buffet. Like just because you say yes to dinner doesn't mean you say yes to sex, right? That was an incredible analogy. (laughs) (laughs) I am just killing it with the analogies today. Yeah. And with all this, I think this is a really important place for this conversation to go like a lot of people have said that this article has been detrimental to the me too movement and on one hand i understand a bit of this because it kind of like it was not a great article in itself um and i think that it caused a lot of people to dismiss this person's story out of hand which sucks but this is the place where the conversation needs to go is not only with these black and white, I mean, it's never black and white, but these like relatively black and white lines of sexual assault and like danger in the workplace um, and moving towards like intimate exchanges in the bedroom of like two people who um, even if like in this case, there was also like obviously since he was a celebrity that did influence it a bit. But more than that, it was just this unequal footing of enthusiasm and exchange in in a situation. And that's going to be important for everyone. And that's a thing that we have to talk about, not in a way to like prosecute people or change the laws or extend legal protections in any way, but to change the culture. Mm-hmm. And I guess my problem with this is touching upon what Quinn mentioned before is like not everything is black and white and so it seems like we should group this in with the hashtag me too movement but like I don't know I think sometimes like I don't know if we can put a label on this right like I think our problem with a lot of things is just that we're so quick to label things and put things in different boxes and then of course like once you start doing that to like everything and 
things become more of a dichotomy than what they really are, which is like a spectrum. Like we've seen this with gender. We've seen this with like sexual orientation. Like it's it it just becomes a bigger problem. Um, and so I think that it would only hinder the Me Too movement if we start if we look at it and we you know equivocate the two. Um, although I think Quincy mentioned before that there is a difference between you know, an Oscar-nominated director using or um, abusing his power to sleep with younger actresses as opposed to, like, two adults who agree to go out on a date, but then they have some communication issues and there's some nonverbal verbal clues that are just being misconstrued um, afterwards. So, like, I don't think we can put those two in the same exact category. One more thing I'd like to make sure that I say about this is that these situations are traumatic for people. I think a lot of people who have been in similar situations where they felt like some of their agency was removed or that their consent was not respected or any of these things, um, even when the partner did not intend to hurt you, like people get hurt. And that's not to say that like those people should be vilified, um, but that like when people are getting hurt, there is a problem. It does, these things don't exist in a vacuum. And like, I personally think that the problem is a lack of education and a cultural understanding in our society. And that's a really complicated long-term problem, but it is something Mm -hmm. that we can work towards fixing. And this is like, people have been talking about this for years and years and years. It's just been pulled into this fiery, tumultuous conversation by the Me Too movement and this article about a celebrity but this is something that people have been discussing and working towards for such a long time and I'm really hoping that this will be able to push this in this conversation into the light um and towards greater effectiveness instead of just exploding the whole thing Mm -hmm. and like just reinforcing a point that Quinn made it's just like with the whole um you you don't, you have no license to say, like, what you do hurts someone, right? So, like, Ziz Ansari, for example, can be like, oh, this isn't technically, like, sexual assault, like, I didn't rape her, and it's like, okay, fine, you can have that one, but he doesn't get to say, or he he literally cannot say that she wasn't affected by this, and she wasn't emotionally traumatized by this. Like, it's just, it's something very powerful and very personal, I think, to be to understand um or come from a place where like you know that you did something wrong but like you also know that now the consequences of that are sort of out of your control because this girl doesn't know or this girl um is going to have to deal with something or this kind of incident in her memory forever right so it's like he doesn't get to say or like in any situation right like you don't get to decide whether or not you hurt someone. Wise words. And to his credit, like, again, when she texted him and said, hey, I was super uncomfortable and that was unacceptable, he said, I'm sorry, I didn't realize that. And he, like, in a, in a better world, he would have realized that at the time and he would have been paying attention. But, like, I think it's clear that he did not intend for him, he did not intend to hurt her and, like, at least that is something and then I I really hope that he since this incident happened like really reflected on what went wrong there and reflected on the way that he um, handles these situations and hopefully hasn't done it again 
Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, I think he's reflecting on it now anyhow. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think he has no choice but to, considering articles about this are literally everywhere. <sighs> wow, I would hate to be a celebrity. Sounds really stressful, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also, just, like, this concept of, like, stars, they're just like us, and it's like you take a picture of someone, like, buying milk at the grocery store, and it's like, ooh, like, they didn't look great. I'm like, yeah, because you're not going to put on, like, 10 pounds of makeup to go and get groceries. Like, what? See, now it's like, stars, they're just like us. They also accidentally traumatize their sexual partners. Yep. And that's, of course, not great. Not great. And that is going to be all from us today. If you want to follow us on Twitter, you can find us at MixedFeelingsFM. You can also find us at Relay.fm slash MixedFeelings, where there's a contact form if you want to send us an email. You can find me on Twitter at AspiringRobotFM. And you can find me on Twitter at underscore Jillian Parker. Thank you for talking with me, Jillian. Always a pleasure. Thanks for talking with me. I'm Quinn Rose. I'm Jillian Parker. And these were our Mixed Feelings.